who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair and yep. his ice-cold demeanor and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. My name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. Come on, guys, don't do this. If I don't get breakfast, I get real grumpy. I don't think you like me grumpy. And you go in pieces, asshole. Let's kick some ass. Hello, and welcome back to I Must Break, this podcast. The fan podcast looking at the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Today, we're doing something slightly different. And instead of looking at just one film, we're discussing three films, all from 2013 and all with the same director and production team. Ambushed, Blood of Redemption, and Puncture Wounds. I'm your host, Sean, and coming back to discuss these gems with me today, almost begrudgingly, I should say, uh, <laughs> is my buddy Chris Prentice, who's essentially taken one for the team today. Chris, how's it going, man? I'm doing good, doing good. I, I think I'm taking three for the team. I mean, I've been very <laughs> lucky so far, you know, I've been with you since the beginning, and, you know, I've, I've kind of been able to be on for mostly movies that I thoroughly enjoy. I mean, I think as of as of now, the one that I, I, I was on for that I probably disliked the most was Peacekeeper, but that was at least watchable, and I can get some kind of enjoyment out of it. But, yeah, these three... This is ugly. This is going to be brutal. I mean, I'm kind of, I'm going to be glad to just rip on all three of these, so that's good. But uh, <laughs> this is going to be an absolute nightmare. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, look, you you already said it. You, I think it's it's fair to say it's, it's time to pay the piper here, Chris, because uh, you know you joined me for a good chunk of uh, of the films in uh, in Mr. Lundgren's Golden Run. Okay, and I spared you, you're welcome, by the way, but I spared you from uh, the dark ages, if you will, um, from the late 90s and the early 2000s. So, you know, I, I think it's fair to say it's, it's your time is due, and here we are, and uh, you're, you're paying it back threefold today. So thank you. I'm, yeah, it feels like tenfold. I mean, I guess technically <laughs> it's threefold, but I mean, this these three movies, I mean... It, Gosh, watching these again, because, you know, look, I had seen them when they first came out. But, you know, luckily, at that point, I was able to just forget them and figure, well, I'm, I'm probably never going to have to sit through any of these again. And uh, but, you know, unfortunately, um, because I, I try to be a good friend, uh, I've had to sit through all three of these. At least and I will say I do appreciate that you gave me a lot of heads up and <laughs> that you gave me a lot of time. And it wasn't like you sprung this on me last second. I had, I had, you know, probably a good two months to get through these three movies again. And I needed every one of those days. Well, there's, there's a lot to unpack here with, with each of these films. Um, you know, the backstory, the players involved and, and all of that. But 
look, let, let's just let's just look at them um, as a package deal. OK, a lot of people may be wondering, OK, why why did we decide to focus on one episode or excuse me, use one episode to focus on three separate films? And the big reason for this is because, yeah, these films were all filmed back to back. We you and I have kind of referred to them as the Serafini trio. OK, so this was a trifecta of films that Lundgren did with director Giorgio Serafini. Um, and each of these three films essentially has four main players involved. OK, so we have Giorgio Serafini at the helm. He's the director. And then rounding out the casts is we have Dolph Lundgren, of course, obviously, uh, Vinnie Jones and Gianni Capaldi, all in the lead roles. And so in my opinion, as I was putting this together, it it, it really didn't make sense to squeak out three separate episodes looking at each of these films, considering that, look, all three of these films were all filmed back to back over the period of maybe, I don't know, I'd say six months. And so I figured, look, in the, uh, the, the philosophy of Jerry Seinfeld, you know, he says it's kind of like a Band-Aid. One move, rip the Band-Aid right off. And so I figured, look, let's just knock these three films out in one episode and then we'll be done. Oh, I think it's very smart. It's a good strategy. There's no no reason to prolong the horrors and devoting an entire full-length podcast episode to each one of these movies because these movies aren't worth it. I don't think you know what's really depressing about all these movies is you know obviously this is not the these are not the first bad movies that that Lundgren has been in. I mean, there's plenty over the years previous to these three, but. These ones are just depressing because it's just like nobody cares. Nobody's trying to make anything that's close to entertaining. You know, it's basically just how many foreign territories can we sell? You know, can we get a deal putting this on a streaming service somewhere? Let's just shoot it as fast as we can, get it done. And let's, you know, move on to the next piece of crap. And it's just, that's what's depressing about these movies is just, just nobody is trying at all on any level to make an entertaining movie. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, everything you said, I completely agree with. And the way I kind of look at it, I don't know if you've ever seen them or if you're familiar with them, but have you seen or are you uh, familiar, I guess, with the Andy Warhol produced Dracula and Frankenstein films from the early 70s? Have you seen those? Are you familiar with them? I haven't seen those ones. I mean, I know of them, but I haven't seen them. So... If you look at those particular films, they're not that good. I'll just say that right now. But, um, yeah, Udo Kier, okay, he um, fronts both particular films. And those films were pretty much very similar to what we have going on here. Okay, we have uh, a a, a Dracula film and a Frankenstein film that were filmed back-to-back, utilizing the same sets, the same director, and for the most part, the same cast. And so if you look up, I mean, literally, if you go on the internet or any kind of discussion about any of those particular films, inevitably they're actually going to be discussing both of those films. Okay. Because both those films are kind of a package deal. They're kind of um, brother and sister in a way. Okay. They're related. And so, yeah, that that's kind of the same strategy I wanted to do here was look, um, the, these, these films kind of like those, uh, those Andy Warhol produced movies is look, these were filmed back to back same director, same stars. Um, the, the, the one 
saving grace I will say with each of these films is Dolph is at least playing a different type of character in each one, but that doesn't necessarily make them uh, good films. We will say no, because I mean they're all shitty characters to, for on varying levels. Um, you know, it's like. I guess you could have taken his character from ambushed and crafted a halfway decent movie around it, but there's really nothing discernible about the cop he plays in that movie compared to any of the other cops he's played in some of these cheap movies. I mean, it's all just, it's just a big pile of nothing. Well, and I, I mean, I should probably say too. I do feel kind of bad. I'm just going to get this out of the out of the way right now. I do feel kind of bad um, because I mean, we're we're not going to be saying a whole lot good about these particular films. And look, the director of these films, Giorgio, Giorgio Serafini, he was on the show on a previous episode. Got to speak with him. Um, same thing with Gianni Capaldi. Gianni Capaldi has been on the show. Got to speak with him. Both these individuals. Lovely, lovely individuals. I enjoyed talking with them. They were extremely gracious and generous with their time. Having said that, though, look, we, we got to look at the final product that is presented to us. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great that they're nice people, and that's perfectly fine. And I don't I don't mean to besmirch their 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 personalities or question their their. Sp- strengths as men but um when it comes to making movies and in the case of uh, capaldi acting in movies i mean they (laughs) suck i mean i don't you know i i just i don't know how else to say it i mean these guys suck i mean it's it's so bad and it's like uh, each each performance is worse than the next with with uh, capaldi i mean it's like, thank God. I think the only reason that I would say out of these three films, Blood of Redemption is, I guess, my favorite is only because Capaldi is dubbed and I don't have to hear his horrific accent and him trying to, you know, pose like he's Joe Pesci from Goodfellas or God only knows what he's trying to do. So I guess that's one of the reasons why I would elect blood of redemption as, as the best of this unholy trio. Well, I would, you know, it's really interesting because again, um, and I, I keep saying this on the show, so I apologize, but I didn't notice it then. Okay. When it was happening, but as you look back upon it, it's really, it's really uh, almost fascinating to examine, but I would chart this particular film, okay, 2013, which is really a shame. We're only at this point a few years removed from Expendables 1 and Expendables 2, but I would chart this era of, of filmmaking to really be the beginning of the current trend in these direct-to-video action films, where nowadays we see this all the time, especially with the films of Bruce Willis, let's be honest, but the, the strategy nowadays is, okay, we're going to hire a relative name such as Bruce Willis, Dolph Lundgren, Nicolas Cage, Steven Seagal, even Sylvester Stallone in a couple of films. Okay. All of these guys who are well past their prime, but they are still names that can be marketed to audiences. So what we're going to do is we're going to package these films where they're being sold as the leads yet the low budget production, because these films all have very, very low budgets. Let's, let's face it. The low budget productions can really only afford them for a few days. So these quote-unquote leads, okay, their scenes are sprinkled throughout the film, 
but then another young lead is hired to do the heavy lifting. Hence the hiring of actors such as uh, Jesse Metcalf and Chad Michael Murray, Kellen Lutz, Frank Grillo, who, let's face it, Frank Grillo deserves much, much better. But here, you know, that's exactly what's going on. And I think that's very, very evident with all of these films that we're that we're discussing today. Yeah, it's 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 really one of the worst trends in in I don't even know if it's only action filmmaking. It it seems to be most prevalent there, but just filmmaking in general, this whole bait and switch uh you know, which is definitely going on <laughs> with these movies. I mean, I mean go look at just the, you know, the cover art for Ambushed. I mean, who do you see? You see Dolph, you see Randy Couture, you see Vinnie Jones. But when you watch the movie, they're they're really not the leads. And so it's just it's a big sucker's game and how how people keep on watching a lot of these. I mean, I've basically kind of given up. I mean, for a while I was watching a lot of these, but you know, now all the EFO junk and all these Willis movies. I mean, I, I now I know for years I've known, you know, just don't watch them. Um, and you know, it's, I, I wish I would have had that, that credo when, when these three movies first came out. But, but I think like you said, it's that 2013, it really was kind of a turning point because I mean, if you look at a lot of the movies Lundgren had d- done up until that point, they were a lot of like supporting roles, but they were good movies. There was, you know, one in the chamber and the package and universal soldier day of reckoning. This small, these are smaller supporting parts, but good movies. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. I enjoyed watching all of those, but yeah, once you get to these, it is just such a steep decline. It's uh, it's really just, kind of sad at how how bad it got real sad at that time well i remember it was interesting because it was it was pretty much announced yeah that that dolph was going to be doing three films okay back to back with this production team and with this director and i remember it was there was a little bit of hesitation because you know giorgio serafini had done the film game of death with uh wesley snipes which i will say um i only watched game of death a couple years ago much better, I would say, that film is than, than these particular films. But there was a little bit of hesitation, I remember, when you and I were discussing. It's like, man, I don't know. Is the turn, Is there enough shooting time here for these films? Is the turnaround going to be enough? But let's just, I mean, before we get into the film, I'm curious. Is it fair to say that Dolph did these films for a paycheck? I mean, is that, is that I, I can't imagine with any of these roles, and we're going to get to puncture wounds i'm saving that one for the end but i mean is that can, can we say was that the driving factor that 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 caused Dolph to sign on for these particular films oh i mean it was one thousand two thousand three thousand percent i mean however you want to say it i mean yeah i mean there's there's no way that he looked at these scripts and looked at who he was working with and said man these are going to be some good movies i can't wait to get on set <laughs> and this is going to be the time of my life. There is just no way at all. I mean, these were purely business decisions, and I don't, I don't begrudge him that. I mean, uh, that's almost every actor does that to some degree. Um, you know, they're, they're always. There's nothing wrong with 
doing a job for money. I mean, that's what we all do. You know, they can't, I understand that they're not all going to be winners, but man, I mean, when you're aligning yourself with the people involved in these movies and you're the one who's, even if you don't have the biggest role in the movies, it's basically your name that's selling it. I mean, people, people are not watching puncture wounds for, for Kung Lee. I, no disrespect to him. He's a, you know, mixed martial arts champion and I'm sure he has a following, but I, I'm fairly certain that most people had heard of, of Dolph Lundgren and, and over uh, Kung Lee when uh, when Puncture Wounds came out, and uh, that's that was the whole thing. It's he's the name, he's a name that you can put on the video cover. He, he's he's known all over the world, and yeah, it, it was purely a business decision, and it's it's unfortunate. I mean. You know, it's it's been kind of a rough rough go really ever since these movies. The the amount of ones that he has done that have been good have have been pretty few and far between. I mean, it's you got you know Skin Trade and Don't Kill It and Creed Two and not much else. I think this, these movies really kind of were were the the start of a, a pretty big decline, unfortunately. Well, I mean, and when I spoke with uh, Giorgio Serafini, I. I flat out asked him i said okay it sounds like these films were all a a package deal i'm assuming so and and he kind of alluded to it's really interesting because we're gonna be getting the blood of redemption here in a minute i thought we'd discuss that one first but it was interesting he said that wasn't really so much the case it was ambushed and puncture wounds those were the two that um, that they signed on for and then they decided to squeeze uh uh, and, 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 and if I'm mincing his words, I do apologize, but it sounds like they had, you know, an extra opening in between those films. And so that is how we got blood of redemption. And so coincidentally, what's really interesting is blood of redemption. Okay. That was the one that was released first. Okay. Before the other two films. So I figured we would discuss blood of redemption because that was the one that was released to uh, a VOD and Blu-ray and DVD. Um, I don't know about you, but I rented it uh, from Redbox, hoping that it was going to be amazing. I know you did as well, but if it's okay with you, uh, let's look up blood of redemption first. Oh, please. By all means. (laughs) um, Okay. So in this mafia tale, okay, Dolph plays Axel who is a bodyguard for an infamous crime syndicate who tries to uncover the truth behind the sudden death of the family's patriarch while sorting out his various alliances and enemies. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And I still have to. My job was to protect Serge and Quinn. Dad? One's dead, the other one's in jail. I owe it to him to find out who's behind all this. The list of enemies is pretty long. It's about money. It's always about money. They want us to think Boris is beyond the attack. This is someone else. Someone with a plan. What did you do? What you talking about? Did you tell me about the drugs? You're the only one left I can trust. I need your help. I don't know what you're fighting against. They're 
Yes, sounds pretty cool, um, but uh, it, uh, it's, it's, it's lacking in quite a few areas. Um, your initial reactions to Blood of Redemption? Uh, junk. I mean, there's no other, <laughs> other way to say it. I mean, it, it starts this, this trilogy on, on the wrong foot, and the, the foot never gets much more right <laughs> after this. Uh, yeah, it's like it's got every... Everything that you can dislike about low-budget action movies from, you know, throwing the character's name up on the screen so you know who they are. So, so that – because you must know who Sergio is. It's very important. You must know Sergio. Um, lazy you know, exposition. To, lazy yeah, exposition. So, I mean, from that to just the cheap muzzle flashes, which, you know, I guess – due to recent events we might be seeing a lot more of that but cheap muzzle flashes just horrible fight scenes you know random lesbianism because i guess people get excited about that yeah i mean there's just there's just nothing well i will say there's one scene in the film that i do enjoy and it's it's dolph's fight scene with his former girlfriend playing the the dominatrix that's that's kind of the one part of the movie where I say to myself, well, that's that's kind of original. It's not really a scene that, that I've seen before, you know, where suddenly this hitman is fighting a dominatrix in some sex club. So I, that was something. It was just a little bit different. Um, but gosh, aside from that, there's just absolutely nothing at all to entertain anybody in this movie. Well, it's it's pretty much a, a a very standard mafia story, okay? Robert Miano, so another another <laughs> another uh, friend of the show, uh, hey, Robert Miano, great actor. Good yeah, actor. he yeah. he is the head of the Grimaldi mob family, who decides for whatever reason that he wants out of the business. We we hear yes. them say that a few times. He wants out of the business, and yes. so what follows is his two sons, played by Billy Zane and Gianni Capaldi. The rest of the film is pretty much them running circles, trying to figure out who's double-crossing who, who's playing who, etc. And Robert Miano, who, again, plays this character, you already said it, uh, plays a character named Sergio Grimaldi. Once he announces that he's leaving the world of crime, this sets in motion all of the events that follow. So Sergio was killed. Um, Robert Davi shows up as a quote-unquote friend to the Grimaldi Empire, only he's also double-crossing everyone. And then in another really interesting uh, 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 subplot, if you will, Billy Zane, his character gets thrown in prison, only once he gets released, he teams up with the family bodyguard. So this is Dolph's character, Axel. Axel, the, the, the bodyguard to the family, is the main character for whatever reason. But uh, once Billy Zane gets out of prison, he teams up with Axel to exact revenge on the ones who had his dad killed. However, what is one of the many things that is frustrating about this, we could say, no details are even given to the story detail at all. We never get to see Billy Zane in prison because I'm assuming apparently the production didn't have access to a prison set. 
which also begs the question, why bother even throwing this story detail in if they're not going to do anything with it? So, Yeah, I mean, I think it was maybe just a good excuse to give Billy Zane less shooting days. And okay, well, we're just going to say he's in prison, and so we don't. We you you can be gone for for three days, so you can film some other god awful movie in that time, and you can come back. And don't worry, we we have a big scene for your character where you uh, infiltrate some computer lab and get into a fight with a bunch of cops, but. We don't actually need you for that scene, so oh, we'll just man. film it anyway and uh, just you know just loop some dialogue later on, and nobody will be the wiser. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it, the, the whole plot—it's like the plot is just—it's just who cares? It's just—it's just a bunch of double crosses and you know, oh, I'm in charge of the family now, and mm, what happened? And Dolph looking at a board of post-it notes and. <laughs> Was it revenge? I mean, has anyone really ever written that on a post-it note? Was it revenge? I don't. I just don't think anyone's ever written that on a post-it note. And, well, it, and yeah, yeah, and that and that's what bothered me about it as well is just the laziness of it. Okay, so Dolph's character, okay, again, who is the bodyguard to this fa- crime empire, we will say. Okay, he's the one who's not only providing the narration to the film, but also the exposition. And there are tons of voiceovers from him establishing certain characters, settings, and scenes. Extremely lazy. I was actually going to play one of those examples of him narrating one of the scenes here um, in a minute. But, you know, it's a storytelling conceit that is not nearly as clever as it likes to think it is. Okay, just, okay, we're going to have our character narrate because we simply don't want to show any of the events through exposition. Had to put four of Mr. Wang's guys in the hospital. But I finally tracked down the man who set up Quinn. Now I'm going to make him tell me who hired him. Rumor has it, Campbell owns this club. High-class prostitution. Two bodyguards. Word must have gotten out that I'm looking for him. Should have hired better guys. That's going to cost them. But like you said as well, yeah, Axel. I'm assuming just to help out the um, to, to you know get the conflict of the story moving along. He constructs this large board of characters, complete with post-its and pictures and string, etc. And so on this board, he has members of the Grimaldi family, as well as FBI agents. And for whatever reason, there's a senator involved in this entire thing as well. And it's all done to, you know, kind of try and pull off a usual suspects type approach here. But it's not nearly as good. And the other thing that bothered me about it, Chris, is it also begs a question. Okay, if we're going to put this film into the real world, Okay, so we're taking this film, we're putting it in the real world, Chris. Yes. Would a bodyguard for a crime syndicate really go to these lengths in putting together a cork board to keep track of everyone? I would think that if he really, really wanted answers and was seeking revenge and justice or whatever, wouldn't he simply just be going out there and knocking on doors and asking around? Well, wouldn't he just go work for some other crime family? I mean, <laughs> once you're a, I mean, if you're a bodyguard hitman for some crime syndicate and 
that syndicate goes kaput. I mean, it's like if you get laid off, like when Toys R Us closed and, it, and the, all the Toys R Us is closed, do you think any of the people that work there tried to investigate what happened to Toys R Us? What? Why did it close? What were? Why need some answers? No, no, they, they just went, went to work for Amazon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, why doesn't he just go down the street to the other, you know, the Triad gang or the Irish gang or, the, you know, or even Vinnie Jones's gang and, and just, you know, hey, look, this this is what I do. I'm pretty good bodyguard and I'd like to come work for you. I mean, I just, yeah, like, why is he, why does he care? Like, there's no, there, the film does not do a good job at all to make us think oh yes we we definitely understand why he's so driven to get to the bottom of this i mean it's it's got to be just just so vital to him and it's no nobody cares he doesn't care we don't care that's the whole movie is nobody cares well the film i mean we we've talked about it the film just screams cheap i mean it's very yeah. apparent that it was filmed over the course of maybe a weekend or two dolph and billy zane are basically wearing the same attire throughout the entire film thus making it clear what we already knew that they were on set for barely a couple days if that even i think the film had a uh, a two million dollar budget but look i've already said it i i talked to you about this um you know, on our on our rewatch when you and I watched this about a month ago. But I feel like the film, it, it's basically the cinematic equivalent to a turkey sandwich. And by that, I mean, okay, and Thanksgiving, you have your stuffing, you have your turkey, you have the cranberry sauce, you have all that good stuff. But then the Saturday after Thanksgiving, when you have that leftover turkey, what do you do with it? You make a sandwich. And I feel like that is, that that's basically what they did with this production. They finished... They finished shooting the film Ambushed, which we'll be getting to here in a minute, and they figured they had an open window between Ambushed and Puncture Wounds. Okay, you know what? Let's get a little bit more return return on our investment. Make another sandwich. Make another film, if you will, so in that way we can uh, sell this thing. And I guess quality, we're not going to really worry too much about that. Well, I, I, I think honestly... You're you're sliding turkey sandwiches two days after Thanksgiving way way too much if uh, if you're likening Blood of Redemption to a turkey sandwich because <laughs> it's you know yeah I mean I, I I get the message but I'd I'd rather spend the whole day eating two day old turkey sandwiches than than have to sit through this again but yeah it's like you can just tell everything is just rushed uh, it's just it's got Every little thing that you hate in these movies, it's that's what these movies live for. That, that that's that's all they have to offer. Like, I mean, you mentioned the senator character. It's like they 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 only have him in this movie so that they can have a, the scene with with some you know lesbian hookers or whatever they are who end up dead. And it's basically just a rip off of the the scene in Godfather Two where the senator wakes up with the dead hooker. And you know it's like that's 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 all this movie is. They're just trying to cribbing stuff from better movies, just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall, seeing what sticks. And 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 none of it sticks. So I mean, they 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 threw a lot at the wall, and absolutely nothing sticks. Well, you already mentioned it, uh, Gianni Capaldi. Um, he is dubbed in this film. I'm curious because he's he's pretty much the lead in not only this film but the other two as well. Before these films, had you even heard of Gianni Capaldi? Had you seen him in anything prior to these? 
No, I, I had not had the pleasure before these films, and uh, I. I know. I know. You said you've seen like I think at least one movie that he did since these, but I, I have not. I honestly, and man, this is going to sound like total hyperbole, but I feel like after watching these movies again, that like everybody has a favorite actor. Well, I now know who my least favorite actor is, and <laughs> and, and it's it's Mr. Capaldi. And I mean, I know that he's like a producer on a lot of these movies. And, and I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that's how he gets the roles in them is because he's got some kind of hookup with the money people to get these movies bankrolled. And part of the condition is he gets to be in them. I mean, they can say, Oh no, that's not the case, but I, you can't tell me otherwise. Uh, that that's that's gotta be what's going on but you know like i said at least in blood of redemption he's dubbed and so it's uh, a little easier to take his character somewhat in this movie not by much but a little bit well there's okay we we already kind of talked about it but yeah there, there's a really bizarre scene where billy zane has an entire sequence where he has doubled where he's yeah. going into this computer room, which oddly enough, uh, apparently in this uh, in this uh, room they hire uh, supermodels as well. Because I don't know if you noticed, but the women working in that room were uh, uh, very attractive as well. So apparently, hackers are <laughs> are, yeah, are, are cast from uh, these agencies. Um, yes, but yeah, he's doubled in that entire scene. Yet he still provides the dubbing for his character in that scene. We already mentioned it, but Robert Davi is in the movie. He all he just leaves the film inexplicably yeah. for for reasons I don't understand. And then Vinny Jones has a completely throwaway role in this film. You know, I will say about Vinny Jones, there was a time, okay, lock, stock, snatch, gone in sixty seconds. There was a time I will say where he was a welcome presence on screen, and he was fun to watch. He was intimidating as hell. But in these films, especially Blood of Redemption, good. Golly, is he annoying? He is just obnoxious. Yeah, I mean, there was there was a time where he had a kind of that you know British gangster vibe to him that that was fun, and you know you could kind of enjoy that when it came to him. But yeah, in in all of these movies, he's he's just horrendous, and uh, you know it's it's hard to determine. And if I feel like in all of the movies, he, his character really doesn't add up to anything. They, no. they all just kind of, they all just kind of leave the movie, and you know nobody cares. And uh, yeah, he's bad here. He's bad in ambush, and he's bad in puncture wounds. And I honestly don't even really know the last thing that he was good in. But, but uh, uh, yeah, it's it's he's he's horrendous. All right. Well, here's the million dollar question. Yes. The significance of the title. What in the heck does Blood of Redemption mean? Go. Blood of Redemption. Well, you know, when anybody is attempting redemption, it takes a lot out of you. You know, it takes a lot of sweat. It takes a lot of of uh, ingenuity. It takes uh, it takes a lot of honor. But what I think what it takes most out of a person is blood, and. So that's obviously why they titled the film Blood of Redemption, because if you're truly, truly trying to redeem yourself, it's going to take a lot of blood. But who's redeeming themselves in this film? I mean, spoiler alert, but Billy Zane, okay, we find out that he's actually the mastermind behind everything that we're seeing. He's the real bad guy. 
So who, yeah. who's 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 seeking redemption in this nightmare of the film? Who? Um, <laughs> I'm going to say the character of Lauren is okay. is the one seeking redemption. Um, I only said that because they, for some reason she gets to have her name on the screen like 40 minutes into the movie um, after they've like you know done all of these character intros way earlier 40 minutes in they they yell at us with lauren um so so i'm just gonna go ahead and say that she's trying to get redemption even though she she definitely isn't because she's she's working with billy zane so she's not trying to get redemption either well i just want to throw it out there real quick i mean and this this is again the norm okay in 2021 we're seeing this a lot okay but this film started shooting in february of 2013 and it was released to DVD and Blu-ray in September of that same year. So that is just barely over six months from pre-production to release. That is fast, man. And I don't know how you're how anyone is supposed to produce a um, a quality product in that amount of time. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the 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 good news when you're only filming for 17 days is you don't got a lot of footage to edit. I mean, you're you basically. You're not doing a probably a lot of multiple takes, so you're just kind of you know let's go take one, let's go. All right, lesbians get in the room, let's go. All right, let's uh, you know get those those muzzle flashes ready. Do we have the the light bright set for the muzzle flashes? Yes, we do. Okay, let's go. Let's film it. Let's get it in the can, and then that's it. You get you you spend 17 days to make it. Probably only takes 17 days to edit it, and you can have it out in in a couple of months. Well, all right. I don't want to belabor this anymore. Um, but look, hey, we're we're we're. Are you ready to go to the next one? We just we just discussed this wannabe mafia drama. Let's move to the next one. How about a cop drama? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Let time to get ambushed. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you need to pop a volume to get ready for the next one or not. Uh, um, that was but... long ago, long ago. <laughs> All right, so moving on to the next one. Okay, this is the film that actually was uh, filmed first of the trio. We are looking at Ambushed. Okay, and so in this one, Dolph plays a tough DEA agent who finds himself embroiled in the middle of America's war on drugs as he takes on both a couple of up-and-coming players in a drug syndicate as well as a crooked detective. You see, I've got this problem. I've got two associates. Look at this. Bullet holes in the back of their heads. Sell my coat in two days. Otherwise, I'm going to come back and kill you and your rude friend. The stuff you did with the Mexican cartels is legend. What is it, 40 indictments? 48. Who's counting? We're the first on the scene here? Yeah. We got drugs everywhere, two bodies, no witnesses. What do you got? Nothing we can make stick. But we got more than enough on these two other guys. What about Agent Rice? I have integrated into their group. I gained their trust. They even discuss business transactions in front of me. What I know, I keep to myself. You're a dirty cop. Well, you think I come here to arrest you? So fucking self-righteous. You really think you're making a difference? One day you're gonna fuck up. 
And I'll be there. All right, Chris, um, I don't know if you noticed this as well either in watching this film, but this movie is basically two films wrapped in one. And there is absolutely no effort made to tie the two stories together at all. No, no, it's, um, it's, it's two stories, both bad that we, you know, keep waiting for some kind of payoff where the stories will meet. And it it really never does. And, and, and it's a shame to, because I mean, look, you know, me, I'm a sucker for, uh, for cop dramas, cop thrillers. And so the idea of Dolph, Playing a, I mean, he's played cops before, but him playing a DEA agent, okay, also in a film where he's reteaming with Randy Couture, that right there is a pretty cool concept that you could you could sell a pretty decent movie on. Yeah, I mean, if if this movie, if the plot had been Dolph's a DEA agent investigating Randy Couture, who's a crooked cop. And Dolph's gonna try and bring him down, and and Couture's got all these mob connections, and there's your story. I that's you know I can roll with that. That's not bad. That's that's a perfectly fine low budget action movie story. But unfortunately, I mean that is that storyline gets very very short shrift in this movie, and what we're left with is is just an abomination. Well, no, I mean, look, we, we talked about it earlier. It's the, it's the, I think the term that was used in an article is geezer teaser. We're basically, yeah. okay, we are, um, we are being sold a bag of goods where we are led to believe that Dolph Lundgren and Randy Couture are in fact the leads when they are not. Okay. Let's, let's face it. The production cannot afford for them the entire shoot. So what they do is again, similar to those Bruce Willis films. Okay. They are bringing in a couple of uh, young actors who, asc- who ostensibly are going to be the ones carrying most of the, doing most of the heavy lifting throughout the film. Okay. Unfortunately, we do not, I can't believe I'm saying this, but unfortunately <laughs> we do not get a Chad Michael Murray. We do not get a Kellen Lutz. We do not get a Jesse Metcalf. Instead, the leads of the film are Daniel, uh, Daniel Bonjour. And Gianni Capaldi. Hey, Gianni uh, Capaldi once again. Um, uh, these are the two leads in the film. What are they? They're, they're a couple of upcoming drug pushers who are trying to move up the drug world. But, of course, things don't go as planned. Yeah, I mean, boy, I, I don't know where you begin with these two. I mean, just, I mean, I think I think they're trying with these characters to have them be sort of like sort of like how De Niro and Keitel were in Mean Streets. That something of that kind of a relationship. Uh, obviously they don't, they don't come anywhere close to pulling that off, but, but yeah, I mean, having to, having to watch these two lunkheads through this movie is, it's just painful. I mean, it's, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what pe- people were thinking you know, trying to trying to pass off a a legitimate 
Dolph versus Randy Couture film and then slipping in these yahoos and making us see their day-to-day lives and their trials and tribulations because it's uh, it's just abhorrent on every level. Well, here we're given, I mean, these could very well be, I would say, some of the worst leads yes. in the history of film. I mean, these two drug dealer characters, and, and I'm not saying I'm not saying you can't have your lead character be a drug pusher. I mean, we've seen no. this done before. Yeah. But the, these two leads, they have zero redeeming characteristics. And Daniel Bonjour, he, this, this is the one who is essentially carrying the film because he's the one who's narrating pretty much everything similar to the last film. Um, He is just not a compelling lead at all. And so every time he is on screen, it is just, I mean, how many times did I text you while watching this? I literally had to rewind certain scenes because I tuned out. I mean, that, that is how, you know, I mean, I the, the, the big catalyst, the catalyst moment, I will say in this film, I completely missed. And I tuned out of because I mean, it's, it's Daniel Bonjour. Okay, who is this guy in a film that we're told has Dolph Lundgren, Randy Couture, re-teaming from The Expendables? No, that is not the case at all. <laughs> no, I mean, it, yeah, like you said, I mean, these it could very well be the two worst leads in a film. Um, you know, I mean, I, I know I guess some people would mention that movie The Room, but, you know, this is almost like the room of action movies. Uh, I mean, there's just so many stupid scenes. You know, there's a scene where, you know, uh, Bonjour comes in and he's like says, hey, I'm I'm the cops. And he, you know, makes Capaldi think that he's a cop. And, of course, Capaldi starts shooting his gun. It's like, oh, no, you know, you know, just fire your gun like that. Oh, this is all a big goof. <laughs> and, oh, man, it's it's like just i mean i don't know how how these scenes went from like a script to being filmed and nobody nobody had the the the, the wherewithal to say no we are not going to do this let's write this again let's make this better uh, but there's just there's nobody tried with this it's i mean capaldi you know, like I said, he's doing he's doing a little bit of De Niro from Mean Streets. He's doing a little bit of Pesci from Goodfellas, and then he throws in his Scottish accent and puts his own little spin on it. And and yeah, it's like I mean, who could blame you for moving on to other things while watching this? Because whatever those other things are, they're better than this movie. Well, do you think? I mean, you, you made the comment earlier about how it, it feels like. No one here is trying. And so, I mean, do you, I guess I want to go back to that real quick, but do you honestly think that's what's going on here? Is they pretty much, is it kind of like the Ed Wood style of filmmaking that, that we saw in the, in the, in the Johnny Depp movie where it's pretty much one take eh, good enough moving on? Like, I mean, do you think it is that bad in the filming and the post-production process to where it's just get it in the can. We got our foreign sales. Who gives a crap? how this is going to look. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it goes. I mean, you can't tell me that this is, this is a movie where, you know, they're really, they're really looking at the dailies very hard and, you know, trying to determine, Oh, does this work? Does that not work? It's just, let's go action cut next scene, next location. Let's move it. Let's, you know, let's get the old lady propped up in her chair that Randy Gator is going to shoot in the face. Let's go. Let's get ready. Let's do this. 
and it's and it shows. You know, it's like I would say. I mean, probably the one person who I think is trying to do something that's at least a little different for them is Couture. I mean, he's you know he's trying to be this dirtbag cop and. Maybe in a better movie, this character could have been interesting. You know, he's he's essentially just doing a variation of bad lieutenant. Um, but you know, in, in this movie, surrounded with this cast, it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it just it just comes up as crap. Well, basically, the the plot for this film kicks into gear. I mean, we you know, let's just look at it real quick. Plot for the film kicks into gear when Daniel Bonjour's character, who's given some some qualities we will say to make him endearing where he's given a completely hundred percent wholesome girlfriend. Who's she's apparently okay with his lifestyle choices. He okay. I mean, he, he's a drug dealer and uh, he's a murderer and he apparently runs a, uh, a, a strip club. We'll say, but you know, she kind of, you know, looks the other way on a lot of that. And so he decides to kill a couple dealers who are a step above him on the drug dealing food chain, we will say, uh, thus allowing him and Gianni Capaldi to move up. However, as we've seen in many of these films, they're not going to come out clean out of this entire deal. And I mean, it's interesting because there are some interesting flourishes, we will say that the production is employing. I mean, we're getting some split frame editing techniques in an attempt to, I guess, look like a music video. Intercut, there is a, uh, uh, during, (laughs) it's kind of an interesting moment here, where uh, Daniel Bonjour's character is talking about the the drug trade and why he's in it and how it's a legitimate business. Suddenly we get some stock footage about how it's a war on drugs type movie where we're seeing uh, immigrants coming in uh, into America in the 1920s. It's, I I don't know. (laughs) What do you think? That that's probably that's I mean there's a lot of bad in this movie. That's probably the worst part is that narration where you know suddenly it it turns into like you know an, uh, some kind of Adam McKay movie where it's just kind of lecturing the audience on hey you know America wants the drugs. I don't know why they come after me. You know it's a for profit business. Blah blah blah. People came to America. Yada yada. Bing bang boom. That's what the people want. We're just we're just providing a service. What's the problem? And oh my god! I mean, if if, if it wasn't for having to do this podcast, I would have just bailed out at that point because it's just such a, such a stupid scene. I mean, there's just oh my god! It's just it's, it's it it really is like just nails upon nails on a chalkboard. No, the okay. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you beat. Actually, the most bizarre scene in the entire film is where they apparently try to infuse some Quentin Tarantino esque dialogue, and <sighs> Gianni Capaldi is retelling a uh, a Bugs Bunny and Yosemite Sam cartoon. His um, Capaldi's overacting in retelling this cartoon, which, to be honest, really is not that funny. Is <laughs> just bizarre to to watch he is just loving retelling this he's his scottish accent is over the top he is getting completely into character and as he's telling this story uh daniel bonjour is just giggling and laughing at it it is one of the weirdest moments in the movie because what they're doing is they're intercutting this scene 
with another scene where Randy Couture is going into the house of uh, Daniel Bonjour's girlfriend and uh, trying to kidnap her. And so we're kind of, I, I guess, I think it's trying to make some kind of statement about how what Randy Couture is doing. Randy Couture, I guess, is the uh, Yosemite Sam in that analogy. I, I, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. I mean, to me, there's there's nothing worse in films than an actor or character, you know, thinking so hard that they're funny. And that what they're doing is so hilarious and it's just not. And that's what that whole Bugs Bunny discussion is. It's just an, it's an overdose of that. I mean, you've got, you know, these two actors, I mean, they, they think they're just, this is like, this is like Travolta and Sam Jackson talking about, you know, fast food places overseas. They think that this is just, you know, going to be, this is what's going to get them the Oscar. I mean, this, this conversation, you know, this is the audience is going to love us, even though we're these dipshit wannabe drug lords. Once we start talking about Bugs Bunny and everyone's going to, that's how they're going to relate to us because everyone loves Bugs Bunny and we're going to be so animated when we talk about it. And oh, it's going to be so great. And it's, it's just cloying. Um, It's, it's just, uh, amazing how bad it is it's it, you know the movies should not should never be this bad um but this one just scene after scene keeps throwing more haymakers at you and says you think th- that was bad here you go here's some more hope you like this slop come on here you go and it just it never ends and these are short movies but it just never ends well and the other thing that's really disconcerting about this is i mean Kind of like, I mean, you already mentioned it with Blood of Redemption, but it, it feels like the, these films were written by 19 and 20 year olds because all yeah. of the women in this film, yeah. um, similar to the other ones as well, are just not serviced well. They're here to either be beat up or used by the characters, and it is just gross. I mean, nobody comes out of this film unscathed. Even that, even that nice, wholesome girlfriend of Daniel Bonjour's character, even she is just mercilessly killed and i mean the way in which the film just ends i i I guess it's trying to make a statement about how i guess on the war on drugs nobody comes out clean when when, you know when when drugs are involved here nobody comes out clean but i don't know if daniel bonjour and gianni capaldi and giorgio serafini are the right people to deliver that kind of message (laughs) they're not the right people to deliver a pizza uh, much less a message uh, as important as, you know, suddenly the movie is, is trying to be traffic all, all of a sudden with, you know, trying to get real deep. And, and, and yeah, and like you said, I mean, like, look, I'm not somebody who is constantly, you know, trying to get great portrayals of, of women in, in these kind of movies. You know, I mean, yeah, it's good, but... I mean, this one, it's just, it's just, these, these women are just, they're just dopes. I mean, they just exist to basically just, you know, they're all essentially bisexual. So it's like whoever's around, that's who they're with. You know, they're all pretty much at the whim of, of the two leads. And, you know, they, they, they don't have, you know, a mind between them basically. And it's like, you know, they, they try to, they try to do something with the the undercover cop character. Um, you know, she's 
it's kind of you know a surprise that she turns out to be an undercover cop and you know they try they, they have Dolph with the whole oh you're in too deep you know you gotta be careful you go you gotta, can't be doing this too deep too deep um and you know they try something like that but again it's just <laughs> there's just there's really nothing nothing there's no execution in the film that that makes you actually care about about any of these characters and uh yeah there's just so many wrong turns that you would think after so many wrong turns eventually you would get go in the right direction but no it's just wrong turn after wrong turn there is a pretty cool fight scene between randy couture and dolph um at the end of the movie, of course, where uh, they're throwing around some uh, MMA grappling moves. And, um, you know, it's funny because I was watching a uh, behind-the-scenes video about this movie, which is available on YouTube. I guess the rain in that uh, scene is actually real, um, mm-hmm. which they they looked at as kind of being a, a blessing in disguise because it kind of helped add to the intensity of the scene. Moments that, that were the most fun for me. First is the... The fight scene with Dolph in uh, the end of the movie is kind of the climax of the third act, and you know, just so happens in Los Angeles, they poured down rain that night, and I mean that doesn't happen very often, and we end up shooting the whole fight scene in the pouring down rain on the rooftop, which it made, yeah, made it yeah made it look that much better, yeah. as if it's not cool enough to have him and I beating the crap out of each other. Um, my favorite moment. So far, I guess it's the fight with Randy, and we did that yesterday, so I look a little tired. Because um, it was raining, we're on this rooftop uh, downtown L.A., getting body slammed by Randy Couture, a lot of fun. Um, I got to kick him and punch him a few times, so it's kinda, I kind of made up for it. But that was cool, that was a good challenge. You know, the problem, I mean, I think it's, I mean, there's many problems with this film, but the big problem, in my opinion, with this one is that Simply, I mean, look, we already said it. Dolph and Randy Couture simply are not in the film that much. And the movie really, really should have been Dolph's character on the trail of uh, Randy Couture's bad lieutenant. Uh, that's what he's, that's who he's channeling, we'll say. His bad yes. lieutenant, crooked, crooked detective character. Obviously, the, uh, the production couldn't allow this. And as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, okay, if we're going to go along with that... Um, the, the geezer teaser model that we've been talking about here, okay, where we need a younger actor to do the heavy lifting, why couldn't they have made it Dolph's rookie partner? Okay, don't you think that would have been a pretty cool... And, you know, leave out these two up-and-coming drug dealer characters, okay, but make his rookie partner the lead, okay? And so he's partnered with, uh, with Lundgren, and they're on the trail of uh, Randy Couture's crooked detective character i think they could have done that but for whatever reason they decided no we need to do this um this this like you said this war on drugs traffic wannabe dopey thriller thing yeah i like like any any change that would have made it a, a more centered on on Dolph and Couture, and even if, if like you had mentioned, if it was more about the the young partner, like any of those ideas would have been better than what they came with. I mean, I think in the long run, it still would have been bad because if you've got you know if you've got the people behind the camera and the people writing the script that that ended up making this, they're not going to be capable of making anything good. So. 
yeah, that idea, you know, following the, the young agent is certainly better than what we got. But again, there, there was, this, there's just nobody who's working on these movies that, that knows how to do it well. You know, it's just, it's just a misstep after misstep. And, um, you know, it's like you can, you can change the ingredients all you want. And you're still going to end up with some really, really, really bad tasting soup. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we've covered ambushed about uh, more than we really need to. Um, but okay, here we are. We're on to the last film. Oh are my. you ready, Chris? I'm ready. Yes. All right. We're not even yeah. crying yet. Here, we're not no. even crying. So. No, <laughs> so. I'm crying on the inside, but I'm I'm being I'm being a brave little soldier on the outside. All right. So let's look at the last film of the. Um, of the Serafini trifecta, we will say, uh, Puncture Wounds, okay, right. also known as A Certain Justice in, uh, in a few territories. Um, in this film, MMA martial artist Kung Lee takes center stage as a heavily trained soldier who runs afoul of an evil drug-dealing pimp after he protects a troubled girl, thus inadvertently setting off a war where virtually no one comes out clean. It doesn't matter when you fought, one way or the other, you go home. The war may be over, but his fight... Hey, leave her alone. It's a private party, man. ...is just beginning. Who did this thing? I want to know everything about him. Where he works, what he drives. His family? Let's go! Who did this? If I knew, I wouldn't be standing here. Need that shotgun. That ain't gonna bring him back. Hey! Who's Horace? How do I get to him? You get in line. Pain. Runs is a decorated veteran. That doesn't make him innocent. Deep. He believes in justice. <laughs> Kung Lee. What, soldier boy? Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> Vinnie Jones. Let's do this. Brianna Evigan. Puncture wounds. You know, what's interesting about this one is I actually remember when this one came out. I think you and I were, you and I were pretty similar, actually. We both uh, bought the DVD blind, if you remember, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I remember thinking, okay, well, it was directed by the same guy who did the previous two films. However, this one has Kung Lee at the lead. Okay, who is an experienced, trained martial artist. If you look at Dolph in this film, Dolph is playing the villain, but he has a wacky, okay, mean look in this film. So I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump the grenade, I'm gonna take a gamble here. And I uh, I pre ordered it on Amazon and as did as did you, if I remember right, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't I don't remember if I had pre ordered it. I, I think I 
I think I went to either Best Buy or Target and just bought it that day. And yeah, I mean, I, I had, it's funny, even after as horrible as, as the other two films were, I, I still had some hope that, that maybe this one could be a little bit better. Cause I figured, well, at least if, if they're going to give Kung Lee the lead, they're probably going to at least have some cool fight scenes and yeah. that might save it. And you know, typically when you've got, you know, Dolph playing the villain, he, he's good at that. I mean, pretty much all the movies where he's the villain tend to be pretty good. And so, you know, I was had blind faith that maybe just maybe they could, uh, they could come up with something good here. But yeah, I think, I think my used copy was up on eBay. Like if not that night, then the next day. Um, Cause I just, I didn't want any, any, any physical representation of that movie around me after I watched it once. What a repugnant movie this is. Oh, God. I'm just going to say it right now. This is, of the three, this movie is just, I mean, it is, I mean, you use the word repugnant when you and yeah. I were talking, so I'm going to be repeating that uh, for a while, but this film is just absolutely gross. I mean, it is trying so hard to yeah. purposely be offensive, to be racist, to be misogynistic, and it is just absolutely just wrong on so many levels and i'm not going to get into the 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 deep and the dirty and the grim you know details of the film but i mean dolph's character his character isn't even fun i mean and that that's i that's what i think is the big problem with the movie is the fact okay we've seen dolph we know that he can play villains and we know that he can play fun villains okay and we've discussed this numerous times okay i feel like so much of your film is um is hindering on the villain, okay? You need to have a great villain in the role. But here, there is absolutely nothing fun about this villain, okay? This villain here that he's playing, Hollis, is just good guy. And I can't, I mean, you and I were talking about this too. I, I don't understand. Look, if, if, if Dolph had a package deal with these films, I would like to think that he would have said, hey, you know what, can I... Uh, can I play the lead detective on the case maybe or something? I can't imagine him going into this saying, yeah, I think I'd like to play Hollis the pimp. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not to say that you, that you can't have an entertaining pimp character in these kind of movies. I mean, you know, anybody that's seen vice squad, you know, where wings Hauser is, is ramrod the pimp. He's a vile character, but it, in a, in a very entertaining fashion. Um, you know, you can even. You I'm gonna I'm gonna go one further. Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. There you go. Smart. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. I mean, even though it's only a couple scenes, Gary Oldman in True Romance. I mean, it can be done. So it's not like you can't have these kind of characters be entertaining. But again, in the hands of these hacks, it's it's just. It's just depressing. I mean, you just don't. I mean, it's just the kind of movie that you just you, you not only want to take a shower after, you want to take a shower during, because it's just it's just it's just so repetitive, and it's like how many of the 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 Asian slur? I mean, how many times can they throw that in this movie? It's just so repetitive. Yeah. Oh it's, my god. What it is is you know it's funny because I've been going back through. And I've been rewatching clips and, and various episodes from what I would say is probably one of the greatest television shows of all time, The Shield. 
Okay. Oh. Amazing show. Okay. And you watch the shield and good. I mean, man, let, let's be honest. That is a tough show to watch. Okay. Sure. It is a very difficult show. And let's, let's be frank. Let's be honest. Many of the episodes are in fact repugnant. Okay. But what's mm-hmm. interesting about it is many of the characters, not so much the, the villains, if you will, I guess you could say the villains, but the show always has finds a way again, due to the wonderful writing, due to the great direction, but it finds a way to kind of redeem many of the characters, many of the scenes. This, however, it almost feels like they are purposely as, as you know, the directors and we're the audience, they're purposely shoving our face into many of these, like you said, the uh, uh, offensive, offensive language and offensive scenes and everything purely just for shock value. And that, in my opinion, is just, again, so wrong, so tasteless. This film, it's just, it's not fun to watch at all. I'll, I'll go to you. I know I said a lot there, but do you see what I'm saying about the comparison between The Shield and this? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, tons of movies and shows have really harsh subject matter, and The Shield is a great example. I mean, yeah, I, that was a show that was very uncomfortable at times, but you had people who knew what they were doing and who were writing it and directing it and acting in it. And even if what they were showing you was this ugly, ugly side of humanity, the way that they told the story was fascinating. And they had characters that most of the characters on the show were rotten people, but you still were hanging on their every action not really the case in puncture wounds. You're you're really not no. hanging on what what these characters are doing. I mean, basically the movie is kind of an updated version of of an old movie called Rolling Thunder with uh, William Devane from the seventies. You know, yeah. he comes back from Vietnam, you know, family is killed, he's gotta go get the people that did it. And it, there's a lot of similarities that, that kind of jump out at me. Uh, between that movie and this but you know it's just again one is being made by people that know what they're doing and know how to tell a a gripping revenge tale and on the other hand you've got puncture wounds which is just about 80 plus minutes of of depravity and and just boring too i mean that's that's the other Mm -hmm. thing is that yeah you've got all this ugly stuff going on but even for just shock value it doesn't even really work it's just dull um, it's it's just such a try too hard. Every scene, they're just trying so hard to be, you know, sadistic to to all the different characters, and it's just at a certain point you just don't care. Well, I mean, look, we already kind of mentioned it, but we you know we have to address it. Uh, Lundgren has a wild look in this film. He's basically a blonde Danny Trejo. I will see. I will say, you know, yeah. he's he's wearing a uh, long blonde wig that looks pretty ridiculous on him you can tell it's a wig as well as a uh, a fu manchu mustache um i mean we already said it but yeah the problem with this character is he is just so vile and ugly no redeeming qualities whatsoever with him i mean if you look at Dolph's cv of villains okay ivan drago um Andrew Scott from Universal Soldier, even the villain he played in the package, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. These are all villains that at least have a little bit of fun with them. Okay. Here, again, there is nothing. Okay. He is a drug dealing pimp who's dabbling in some low rent movies, uh, 
less said the you know less said the better um but he is just a very cruel vile ugly villain and you know it's interesting because and i was going to ask you about this here in a minute okay but we'll just get to it right now okay obviously the the argument that you could argue okay against this film is okay if you look at films like showdown in little tokyo and Lethal Weapon, and Action Jackson, okay? All of these action films from the 80s and the 90s that, let's face it, we all love and that we all enjoy. But you can look at these films, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not saying this, I'm just saying that this is the argument that could be posed. But if you look at those films, you could say, okay, well, wait a minute. Those films were fairly misogynistic. Those films were pretty mean-spirited and gross. I mean, look at Predator 2. I think that's there's another there's another example right there. So I guess the big the big question I wanted to ask you is what's the difference there? Because again, that's the argument that that I think anybody who's coming in could say, they could say, "Well, wait a minute here. Why is it that those films from the 80s and the 90s that we love so much, why is it those films get a pass?" Okay? As opposed to these films nowadays we look at as being tasteless and gross and just leaving a very horrid taste in your mouth well i think like when it comes to let's let's go with showdown in little tokyo because yeah that's a movie that has a lot of very unpleasant parts and probably is not the the best portrayal of of female characters and so you know i think that's a movie that you could say what's the difference what's the difference between showdown little tokyo and puncture wounds and i think it's because showdown little tokyo that's almost like an updated western you've got your good guys you've got your bad guys they're gonna collide it's it's the story we've seen over and over again, and if you if you really like the heroes like we do in Showdown Little Tokyo, and you really despise the villain like we do with Kari Tagawa in Showdown Little Tokyo, then nothing else really matters because we're the film you know to use a wrestling term is, is over. It's over with the audience. We're now into it. We want to see the good guys triumph over the bad guys. But when you get to something like Puncture Wounds, you've got a hero you don't give a shit about. You've got villains that, yeah, they suck and they're bad people, but you don't really care about what's going to happen to them. You, you just want the movie to end. You're just you're all all you're doing is every now and again you're hitting the little display button on on your remote. Say, oh, is it, is it is it at least at fifty minutes yet? Is it is it sixty five? Okay, so you know we're we're getting there. That's it. That that's so that that to me that's the difference is if, if you have compelling characters, and some people would say Showdown Little Tokyo compelling characters, but in that genre of martial arts action. Yeah, those are compelling characters. Those are cops that we enjoy. They're funny. We like them. And then there's a bad guy that we despise, and he's evil, and we want to see him get his his end, and we want to we want to see him die brutally. But Puncture Wounds has none of that. So you you can pretty much be as vile as you want as as long as you can give us characters that we can we can believe in. Um, and have some kind of an appreciation for, but puncture wounds has none of that. And so that's, that's the main reason. That's the main reason all these movies that we're talking about stink is because there's no attempt made to give the audience compelling characters. 
Well, I mean, okay, you, I, I love the analogy you said about Rolling Thunder. Okay, yeah. because yeah, that that's basically what this film is. Where uh, Kung Lee, um, he is a, a soldier who um, came back from from I'm assuming Iraq. Okay, but uh, yeah, he's he's living in a uh, in a motel, and again, we have Kung Lee's character providing the narration. Okay, once again, making for that easy exposition, and yeah, so he's living in this motel, and he's protecting Brianna Evigan's character who is getting beat up in the parking lot of the motel where he's staying. And so what happens in self-defense, he kills a couple of the attackers. These men happen to work for Hollis, who is Lundgren's character. And so what, what sets in motion is um, pretty much a, a retaliation where they come after Kung Lee's family. And this sets in motion um, all of the action that follows where it pretty much becomes, okay, well, I'm getting you back for this action. Well, then Kung Lee's going to go after them for that action and back and forth. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a decent premise, I guess, in theory, but also where things start to kind of get, uh, get jumbled a bit is because, again, we have Gianni Capaldi and Vinnie Jones, who two actors who I think were also producers on these films, they need to show up out of obligation and get roles in these films, which coincidentally add absolutely nothing to the proceedings. We have Vinnie Jones. He shows up. His role is extremely tangential. He's barely even in two scenes and you forget that he's in there. And then Gianni Capaldi plays one of the dealers who is under Hollis. I'll I'll go to you. What, what, what do you think of, uh, Capaldi's uh, contributions to this film. I, I I thought it was hilarious that you know Capaldi kind of does the dirty work, you know. So when when Dolph's character, you know, when he needs someone killed, you know, he basically Capaldi's kind of the guy that's got to go get it done. And I just found it hilarious that when he has to go kill Kung Lee's family, you know, who you know they're they're the his family's basically taken in the middle of the night, thrown into the back of a van, you know, as they're driving to some desolate location. And, and, you know, we have these, we have this scene where Capaldi, he's just, you know, he just, he, he looks like it's just finally getting to him. And, ah, man, it's just, I don't, what am I doing? How, how could I have made these decisions? What, what have these people done to me? And then it's like literally 30 seconds later, okay, I'm going to blow up the van now and, and burn these people alive. So it's just like, what are, what are, what is being thought of with these scenes? Like, I guess maybe Capaldi sort of said, look, you know, I, I don't want to be just a hundred percent bad guy. Give me a little bit of a conflicting role here. And, and they did, they gave him a little bit of one. And it, it's, I'm one of the producers here. Yeah, that's what he yeah, said. I'm one of the producers. Oh, you yeah. need to give you need to give my character with just a little bit more meat and a little bit of an arc here. Yeah, I I, I need something to chew on. Come on, give me give me some give me a scene to chew on here. And so yeah, he gets the scene of of you know driving the van and he's got a real annoyed look because i guess that's annoying to him but, but then it's just like 20 seconds later okay now let's burn these people alive uh it's oh god it's just such a such a a dire experience this this whole this whole film it's ugh. well i had i had an idea for what i think would be a better execution of the plot i mean what they could have done because if you think about it okay 
this film covers a lot of ground. Okay. And I think that's one of the reasons, one of the things that helps it, uh, or excuse me, that makes it look so cheap. Okay. If you think about it, we have the flashback sequences when we see Kung Lee's character in Iraq, right? Um, we have the, the scenes at the motel, then it goes back to, uh, to Lundgren's pad. Okay. Where we see all of his dirty dealings and everything. I mean, so if you think about it in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it's covering a lot of ground. There's a lot of scope. I had the idea and, I don't know if this would have made the film necessarily better, but it might have tightened things up a bit and might have given them more to work with. Okay. So what if the film basically became a siege thriller where everything is set in this old decrepit motel where basically you have Kung Lee's character. He's protecting Brianna Evigan. He brings her into the motel. Brianna Evigan's character has something of Hollis's that she's not supposed to have. And so, like I said, it becomes a siege thriller where you have Hollis and all of his men storming this motel and Kung Lee is having to protect everyone. I think if they had done that, not only could they have worked with one set and, you know, focused more on the action, but we also would have been spared from seeing all of Lundgren's characters, dirty dealings. And that might've, uh, that might have helped it out in the long run and not be as gross as it is. Uh, yeah, again, I mean, that's better than what we got. And it's, uh, you know, I'd much rather see, you know, Kung Lee in, in you know, kind of a, a cheap ripoff of the raid than, than what we ended up with, which is, you know, just a cheap ripoff of Rolling Thunder. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd have been fine with that. Let's... Let's go back in time and make that happen because <laughs> what, what we what we ended up with is 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 a thousand times worse. Uh, it's it's it, it, I think it's like seeing it for the first time. You know, you're whenever it came out six or seven years ago. You know, you're just like, oh, this this is bad. This stinks. But it's like watching it again now. Recently, it's just like it's just it was just painful. And and so yeah, any virtually any plot. Instead of this one would have been better. So yeah, I'm, I'm all for, and especially because that would have played to Kung Lee's strength with it, which is you know fight scenes. That's that's what he can do well. And they they you know they throw in a few in this movie, but there's really none that I would call good. So yeah, anything that might have led to some better fight scenes for him and let him play on his strengths would have would have helped tremendously. We do get a final fight between Kung Lee and Dolph that does look cool and is fairly well choreographed. I just think it's kind of humorous that Dolph being this uh, uh, dirty, disgusting pimp that he is, man, he knows martial arts and he knows how to throw down. Um, oh, and yeah. also, you pointed it out to me, which I didn't even really realize, but he lives in a pretty, uh, uh, a, a pretty swank pad that um, has a giant bookshelf inside. Oh, yeah. Which I'm convinced, actually, that this was not a set. I think this was filmed at one of the producers' house houses, and uh, they they shot the scene there. Yeah, they just they weren't going to take the time to move the the bookshelf, and you know maybe they thought, oh, you know, people are going to think Hollis is well read. Let's keep it. It's a, it's it's a it builds on his character. But yeah, that was a gigantic bookshelf. It just kind of all of a sudden pops up out of nowhere, and it's like wow. I, who who would have thought that Hollis would would be so learned? Um, I also thought it was funny in that that final scene is like I guess it's a sweater that he's wearing in that scene. Yeah, like, I noticed that. I, <laughs> I don't know what what that was. 
Yeah, he's wearing this like nice sweater, and he's a pimp. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like pretty much whenever we see him for most of the movie, I mean, he's in all these kind of like you know Aryan pimp outfits that I guess you go, okay, yeah, that fits what I guess someone like him would wear, and then then it's like he's got some kind of sweater that he you know found it in at, at ross or something it's uh it's 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 pretty it's just bizarre um you know but it's like yeah and there's just there's so many horrifying parts and then it just it, it gets even worse towards the end because he's like basically trying to rape brianna evigan and it's like hey it's like i don't know what i don't know why she i mean i guess it's kid's money but it's like why was she signing up for this movie i mean it's like i mean i would think i would think each each page that you see what your character has to endure is just worse than the next i don't know what what would draw an actress that you know has actually been in some movies to to want to play this part but i i whatever i guess the the check clears it's it's all good the best thing I can say about this one i mean and this is a very low level compliment best thing i could say about this one is that I will say it's the most complete movie of the bunch. Okay. The other two films are cluttered with so many various stars and plot threads and none of those plot threads really get cleaned up. So I feel like the other two films, blood of redemption and ambushed you're watching what feel like incomplete meals as opposed to this one, I think has a singular story at its core that does see completion to the finish line. So I will say on that front, I think this one does get um, does get a pass on that level. Well, I mean, this movie does give you what it says it's basically going to give you. It's going it, basically look. This is a revenge film. Kung Lee out to avenge his death of his family, going up against this this crime syndicate led by a whacked out pimp Dolph Lundgren so that's the story and that's that is the movie so yeah I'll give it credit for that it doesn't swerve off into some other direction and really be about you know it doesn't it's not really about like a hair salon that is a front for Dolph's uh, business and you spend half the movie in the hair salon there's none of that it's this this is the movie it's a revenge movie and it 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 does tell you that story I, I do want to say it's like, and, and shame on me, I didn't, I didn't chart the actor's name, but the guy who ran the seedy motel, like who was like the pervert. I mean, it's a disgusting mm-hmm. character, but I thought that he did a good job playing that character. Like I thought, like yes, I buy this guy as a perverted seedy motel operator. Um, so if I have to give one compliment, it would be to to that actor that they they did a pretty good job of being a real piece of crap. All right. Well, okay. We're here at the end. Okay. I, I, I know that these films do not get recommends from you, but I guess if you had to rank them, okay. So with one being the best and three, obviously being your least favorite, how would you rank these particular films? What's the order you would go? And, and again, we should say we're splitting hairs here, Chris. Okay. We're, Yo. you know, I mean, it's, it's really not that, <laughs> The, the margins here are very, very slim. But uh, if you had to rank them, what, where are you going to go? We're splitting a single hair is basically <laughs> what we're doing. But, okay, if I got to, I'm going to go Blood of Redemption number one. Um, you know, it's like at least 
it's like it's not as annoying a movie as ambushed and it's not as repugnant as puncture wounds so i'll go with that number one i'll go puncture wounds number two because again it 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 is the movie that it it tells you it is it's not there's no real bait and switch going on it's it is that movie and then the worst is be, because of the leads who are just just horrendous is is the last one bringing up the rear is going to be ambushed and see me okay we're 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 again we're splitting hairs it's really not a big deal um but for me because it is there there is a um, a cop thriller element to it I'm going to put ambushed at the top. Wow. Um, for me personally, <laughs> just because I do like the kind of pseudo expendables reunion that we're getting there. Um, mm. After that, I'm going to put uh, blood of redemption, I guess in the middle. And I'm going to put uh, puncture wounds, despite being a complete story. I'm going to put that one at the end, just because it is, there's really not a heck of a lot of redeeming. Actually, there's nothing redeeming about it at all. It's just, um, it's just an exploration uh, into a depraved world that uh, I really don't feel the need to uh, go back and revisit. So, no, no. In fact, if you would allow me, just, just, I think maybe just ten seconds, and and I'm gonna, I'm gonna basically, I'm gonna give my my last farewell to all three of these films. So just, just allow me ten seconds here. Well, okay, well, wait a minute here. I was glad when uh, these films were all finally released because I knew that the Dolph Lundgren and Giorgio Serafini pairing was over until 2018 when Dolph signed on to do The Tracker and Hard Night Falling. So, Chris, I think I may have to call you back for those. It was bad enough sitting through these three. I mean, if you, if you really needed me to watch those two again... I, I I would do it because again that's just the kind of person that I am, and you know if if drafted I will serve, um, <laughs> but but oh my god it's um it's just a I just I didn't even make it through all of Hard Night Falling I mean I I I, I think it was about forty minutes in and I basically said okay that's that's going to do it that, that that's enough for me. Well, and you know, and and before we wrap this up, I mean, I I just wanted to also say. What's what's also kind of sad is, I mean, obviously, no, these films do not get a recommend in any kind of way. But I would say, if if I was going to recommend them on any front or on any level, I would say I encourage anyone to watch them purely just to see what the current state of direct-to-video action cinema is like. Because this is what we are. This is what we are seeing. Okay, if 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 we are if we do not want to see our action films in the theaters, and we'd rather you know, see them at home. Okay. This is what we're getting. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like in a lot of ways, and again, I didn't realize this back then in 2013, 2014, when these films came out, but it's really prevalent nowadays. I feel like, okay, these films being as cheap as they are and as low rent as they are, and just poorly made as they are, I really think to a certain extent, we have ourselves to blame. And by that, I mean, okay, how how often do you hear someone saying, okay, uh, oh man, I really want to see that. Eh, I'll wait for it to be on. I'll wait for it to be free on Netflix. I'll wait for it to show up on Prime. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Before we had these streaming outlets and these streaming platforms, you know, we had, you know, uh, obviously blockbuster video and, you know, the direct to video market was bigger. Okay. And so if you were not paying, you know, four ninety nine to rent it at blockbuster on the video store shelves, you were of course buying the DVD at a price point of between 15 to $20. Okay. The DVD market, as we know it is not gone completely, but it's, it's dried way up. Largely okay. gone. Yeah. yeah, largely. And so, again, I feel like we have ourselves to blame. And I'm as guilty of this as anybody. But so often, you know, when we see a new film hit streaming, okay, yeah, if we really, really want to see it, we could pay the six ninety nine or nine ninety nine to rent it on the premium video on demand. But in the end, I think so many of us are kind of of the mentality of, you know what? It looks cool. I may see it. I'll just wait for it to hit Netflix. I'll wait for it for it to hit Tubi. I'll wait for it to hit Prime, Hulu, whatever it may be. And I think when you're going into it with that mindset, of course these studios don't have anything to work with because there's nothing in it for them. So it's it's like I said, we have ourselves to blame. Yeah, but on the other hand, I mean, how often do you do you pay the six ninety nine to rent something like like this right off the bat and then you watch it and what's your first thought is i could have waited on that i i really i didn't need to see yeah. that right away and and so yeah it's true I, I think it's just in general movies have become for lack of a better word more expendable you know it's like when when you were actually going and and renting physical movies and you grabbed them off the shelf and you took them into your home you you were going to watch them. I mean, even if they sucked, you were probably going to get through the end because you had that investment in it. But now with with this different streaming services, and and I'm guilty of this too. It's like if they don't grab you in 20 minutes, see you on to the next one. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I don't have time to to sit here and watch something that's really going to be shitty. And if you can't get my attention it, within 20 minutes, I mean. That that's how it goes. So so yeah, it's like the audience is at fault somewhat, but the fact that so many of these movies just end up being so bad is 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 not helping. And I think the filmmakers know that too. The filmmakers know that it's not going to be you know up to the quality and the standard that we all know and expect. So. Again, that's why they are selling it to those streaming services. That's why we see it, you know, b- that them popping up. I mean, if you think about it, look at uh, look at Tubi. Okay, Tubi is a free streaming service, and there are tons of action titles on there that came out within the past year or two. Okay, and I think they were made purely to be loaded or to be sold to those streaming services um, because they knew that. They weren't going to make money otherwise. And that's, that's it, it's a cynical way of looking at it, but I also understand it to an extent. And, you know, obviously there are the diamonds in the rough. Like there's a skin trade, obviously, every now and again that'll pop through. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's going to be a rough go um, on the podcast from this point forward. I'm going to be honest. So Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, yes, judging by some of the movies that he's, that Dolph has been making in the, within the last year, there's probably going to be some rough episodes, but you know, at least castle falls, that's him with Scott Adkins. It looks like it's kind of a cheap movie, but at least they're both the leads. I mean, that's kind of what I'm looking at is that, Hey, they, they are the stars of it. 
you know, I think we just got the news that came out that he's apparently finally going to be able to make that Wanted Man movie that has been in development forever. So, you know, hopefully he's got a few few winners still up his sleeve. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 gotten pretty dire with uh, with almost all of these people, with the with the exception of, of Scott Atkins, who is kind of the the lone person who really, really seems to want to try to, to, to make legitimately good low budget action movies. Uh, not many other people are, are all that interested in it. Well, Chris, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thank you again, again, uh, begrudgingly joining me, but, uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you for taking one for the team, uh, paying the piper and, uh, uh, <laughs> suffering through not just one, but three films that I know you didn't really want to do. But um, as always, I did have a ton of fun discussing it with you and I really do appreciate you, uh, you taking a bullet for this one. So thank you. Well, that is fine. I, I anytime rain or shine, I, whatever, whatever bad movies are on the horizon. I, I I'm your guy. I, I, I can do it. It's not a problem. This is just, uh, 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 this is just the payback for being being the guest on so many of the good movies. So we're we're just we're just in kind of a dark territory right now, and uh, and so yeah. But I do appreciate you having me on. The, I mean, the best part about rewatching these movies has, has been to kind of commiserate with you about them, and <laughs> and finally, you know, once and for all, get them out of my system. Um, it's therapy, my here. man. Oh, it's therapy. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to need plenty of it to 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 get the to get the the memory of uh, of oh, of just all these movies. It's just a big menagerie of of junk. Um, one each one worse than the next. But but yeah. In short, thank you very much for having me on. I, I did have a good time uh, rehashing these god awful movies. Well, till the next therapeutic session, uh, we will uh, we will pencil that in. But uh, hey, uh, I really do appreciate it to everyone out there who is listening. Please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews, and we'll see you all next time on I Must Break This Podcast. Mm-hmm.